This is Michael Enzi, and you're listening to the Left Coast Pirates. Horton will try to go all the way. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. He is a sports writer for the Providence Journal, covering the Red Sox, college basketball, and much more. Please welcome back to Left Coast Pirates, Bill Koch. Bill, how are you this morning? Guys, thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for coming back, Bill. And for those listening, if the voice sounds familiar, Bill kind of joined the show earlier in the season to help us break down uh, what he perceived to be an opportunity for a URI win against the Pirates. And he was correct, uh, unfortunately, to to our fans' liking. Uh, But we love what Bill had to bring to the table. He obviously covers multiple sports teams up in the Providence area. So we brought him back on to cover the Friars for us. All right, let's not sugarcoat it. Let's get right into it, Bill. The Friars right now are 9-8 and eight overall, 5-6 and six in Big East play, 6th in the conference standings, directly behind Seton Hall. But since that first game against the Pirates, they are 4-6, and six, including a loss against lowly Georgetown this past Saturday, blowing a 15-point lead that they once held. Now, it's ironic, right? Because, you know, Seton Hall plays Providence. They both come off of a week in which they surrender double-digit leads. Seton Hall loses to Creighton. But Providence, like we just said, it probably has to hurt a little bit more. You know, you can you can tip your cap to a top 25 team and say, you know what, they, they weren't going to give up and they, they're, they're talented. So if they put it together, you could see a run like that happening. But when you got a team that's in last place on the ropes, as in Georgetown, and they're just coming off of a pause nonetheless – you don't expect them to kind of have the morale to kind of fight back in that game. So what's the bigger letdown? The the David Duke missed free throws that leads to the Georgetown loss or Seton Hall kind of giving away that uh, signature win against Creighton? No, I think it has to be Providence, Mike. I, I think you make a good point. One of these things is not like the other. Um, you know, you lose to Creighton, it's okay. Creighton's a top 15, top 20-ish type team. It, it's a great opportunity. It's a win you want on your resume. Um, you know, but ultimately, there's no shame in losing to Creighton, despite how the game played out. Uh, if you're Providence and you're playing at Georgetown and they're coming off a 21-day COVID-19 pause and you have a 15-point lead in the first half, you simply have to finish it off. Um, and the fact that they were unable to, the fact that they gave up 17 offensive rebounds, uh, they were out-rebounded 47-33 total, uh, that prompted Ed Cooley to call his team soft. And, and he's done that two or three times this year, um, you, know, you could just see you know, down the stretch, Georgetown shot 35% in the second half, and they were still able to hang with Providence and, and ultimately 
uh, pull this one out. Uh, everyone wants to look at the missed free throw, obviously by David Duke. He did not have a good day, um, you know, but that game was lost well before he went to the line with 1.5 seconds left. And, and arguably people say he shouldn't have even been there. Kind of a, there was a lot of people on social media saying that that was kind of a bit of a flop and he kind of got bailed out to just even be in that position. So debatable. Yeah. I mean, debatable. you know, you, you can quibble with officiating all the time. Oh, we um, do. Oh, we do. Oh, we there do. Are, uh, <laughs> you know, there are plenty of Providence fans also who, who are lamenting the fact that he wasn't trying to shoot a three and that, you know, maybe if he had gotten three free throws, much better chance that he would have hit two and, and they would have ended up in overtime yet again. You know, Bill, so the, this year's Providence team has really been inconsistent. You know, they were able to beat Creighton in Omaha, but as we've been lamenting here, they lost to this lowly Georgetown team. And that's really all you can call it at this point. Mike mentioned that the team is currently in sixth place, but it was picked third in the preseason poll by the coaches. So what's the main cause of all this inconsistency? I think it's just the fact that you have two really high-level players in, in David Duke and Nate Watson. And on any given night, if the two of them don't play well, you don't necessarily have enough help outside. You, you don't have enough difference makers on this roster. Uh, you know, At Georgetown, A.J. Reeves had his best game of the season. He had 28 points. 22 of those were, were in the first half. Uh, but we've seen far too little of that from him. Um, you only had two other guys creep into double figures. Nate Watson had 12 points and Alan Breed had 10. Uh, David Duke was two for 11 from the field. He, he really struggled. They're not going to win many games when he goes two for 11 from the field. Uh, they lost at Villanova last weekend and he was four for 17 from the field. Uh, you could see opposing defenses really trying to dial in on him. He's a very dangerous player. Uh, he's trending towards potentially being one of the first team all big East selections. He, he was in the preseason, um, you know, but it's, it's difficult for him right now. And it's difficult for Nate Watson as well. Uh, you know, opponents are realizing that if you could take those two away somehow or limit them in some way, uh, the combination of AJ Reeves, Alan Breed, Jimmy Nichols, Greg Gant, Noah Horkler, that's not going to be enough to win against most big East opponents. Bill, would you uh, kind of say, to put into perspective for Seton Hall fans, that A.J. Reeves is like the Seton Hall equivalent of Miles Kale? That's a good comparison, actually, because every once in a while, you know, he's going to pop up with a 20, 25-point game, and, you know, he's going to go 6 for 12 from 3 like he did uh, against Georgetown. Um, you know, there are going to be other nights where, like in their loss against Butler, uh, at Butler, where he's going to struggle with his shot, and, and they're going to be dreadful from beyond the arc. Um, you know, it's... He's been up and down, and, and definitely that absence of a clear third score, a clear third option that, that can at least get the defense's attention, um, that's sort of limited the ceiling on Providence to date. I, I feel like the microscope comes back to these two guys uh, specifically because of what they were expected to do based on their uh, r rankings coming out of high school, right? So Sale, Kale's a senior now, and they're like, hey, the light bulb's going to go off. Reeves is a junior. Both guys are top 100 recruits. I kind of think they are who they are at this point, and you're going to get that inconsistency. Are the fans expecting, like I said, the the switch to go off for Reeves, like we hope for Kale? Yeah, but it, because you, you see the ability, and you know what he's done in the past, um, and you know what he's capable of producing. And, and so once you see it, it's flashed in front of you, you wonder why it's not there all the time. Um, you know, it's like if, if you have kids and they start walking, um, you know, eventually when they're toddlers and they start walking, there are going to be some days where they streak right across the living room. And there are going to be some other days where they just fall over all day. 
um, you know, fall into the couch, fall into the coffee table, and you think, geez, you know, what what happened here? We're making such great progress. Um, and I, I think I think you're reminded that in developmental stages with basketball players, that, that growth isn't linear as much as you would like it to be. You know, sometimes it can be all over the map. And, and in A.J. Reeves's case, yes, you would have hoped that just the raw talent and, and the ranking would have led to something a, a little more consistently high level, but you know, that just hasn't been the case to this point in his career. And then you got parents like me who set up pillows all over the room to create roadblocks just to mess with them. That's right. You're a helicopter, Mike. That's all you are. But let's stick with the fan bases. You know, I I find that both Seton Hall and Providence's programs to be very similar here. And I want to see what the temperature is of the fan base. You know, the last five years have really bought Coach Willard some measure of comfort and trust with us Pirate fans. But some have reached into their sheds and started dusting off their pitchforks and torches there, Bill, to be honest with you. Now, while Mike and I always say we love ourselves some Ed Cooley, there's a lot of similarity in the resumes there. What's the fan base's current feelings toward the Providence head coach? Right now they're upset. Uh, You know, coming off a Georgetown game, they're upset. Uh, The fact that they're in the middle of the pack in the Big East and they were picked third, they're not happy about that. Um, the fact that they look and, and they see David Duke and Nate Watson and, and they feel like those are, you know, two top 10 players in the league. And, um, you know, generally, if you have two top 10 players in the league, you're, you're going to be one of the league's elite teams and they're not, um, you know, so they are upset about that. Uh, you know, the, the one major thing that gets thrown in Ed Cooley's face in, in times of struggle is the fact that he only has one NCAA tournament win in 10 years. Um, Sounds familiar. Fact that, I, I know what I know what that feels like. Yeah, you know, the, the fact that Providence is, is going there more consistently than it ever has at any point in its program's history uh, is thrown out the window at, at that point when they struggle, uh, you know, when they want to have a, a go-to item uh, to rip Ed a little bit. And, and that's that's generally the URI fans' response to, to Ed Cooley as well. Uh, the fact that Dan Hurley won two NCAA games at URI in six years and the fact that Ed Cooley has won one NCAA game in Providence in 10 years um, you know, that that's that's one of the calling cards as a fan base. If you want to hit Ed below the belt, that, that's kind of what you go to. Um, for me, he's safe. You know, Bob Driscoll loves him. The administration loves him. He, he's exactly what you would want representing your school as a basketball coach. He's a good man, uh, gets his players through school, put a couple guys in the NBA, um, consistently competing year in and year out. The next NCAA tournament he makes will be his sixth. No other coach at Providence has gone to more than five. Um, you know, so he has elevated the program. The, the temptation among Providence fans now is to say, we're no longer that stepping stone job. We're spending money. We've built the practice facility. We're chartering. We're recruiting at a level that we haven't before. Where are the tangible results in terms of maybe cutting into the gap that Villanova has atop the league or, or that Creighton has as maybe that second team in the league. Um, you know, where are the tangible results in terms of competing for a Big East championship, whether it be regular season or in the tournament? Um, you know, when are we going to be a five or a six seed or, or maybe even a four seed in the NCAA tournament instead of 10 or 11 and, and just scraping in on the bubble? Um, so like- I, and you guys are laughing because I would imagine you're hearing all the same things in South Orange. Well, it's like a mirror. It's like Seton Hall fans are looking into the mirror and Providence fans are staring back out of them. 
We had a similar debate with John Fanta, I think last year, where Fanta was making the point that we should be happy that Seton Hall makes the tournament year in, year out, at least now with Willard. And the question is, is it too much to expect improvements over time? You know, you, that's great. We made the tournament. Now it's time to make that second weekend. I don't think that's too big of an ask. I, I just want to continue growth, right? We're not, you don't expect every year to go another round and measure it that way. You want continued growth. And I feel at times Providence Seton Hall alike feel a little stagnant in that development and growth. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and it's, it's a reasonable thing to wish for when, when you see, you know, your program sort of establish a, a baseline of making the NCAA tournament. Uh, and, and you think, wow, okay, we're good enough to, to do this every year. Um, you know, we're one of the top 68 and, and really, you know, one of the top 40 because you take the auto bids out and, and you're going to look at the at-larges and whatever else. So you're realistically, you're a top 40 program in, in the country, um, you know, in terms of at-large bids, top 40, top 45. Um, yeah, that's a pretty elite group when, when you consider that it, you know, more than 350 play in Division I. Um, what you want, what you want, obviously, is, is to take that next step and, and maybe break through and make a Sweet 16 or make an Elite Eight. Um, yeah, I think you need to have a few things happen there. Uh, first, I, I think a lot of that is luck. Honestly, I, I think teams in the NCAA tournament are, are really good. You need to have a favorable matchup. Uh, ideally you have a guy on your team who goes off and, you know, the other team superstar doesn't have a good night. You know, you could also have a class where, you know, you have somebody like David Duke who, yeah, he was a, he was a highly regarded recruit. Um, you know, but right now he looks like an NBA player. Uh, you know, I don't know necessarily if, if they thought when they were recruiting him that he was going to be someone who could be a first round pick in the NBA draft. And, and I think, you know, you're seeing him projected there in, in some places. So it doesn't hurt when you have a superstar who, who blows up a little bit. Um, you know, the other thing I would say about success in the tournament is you know, it's difficult to have the sort of depth that you need. Um, you know, unless you are a true blue blood, you're, you're trying to play six or seven or eight guys who are going to be able to play at that level. Um, you know, Providence or Seton Hall, yeah, they're going to bring in, you know, three or four guys who are heralded recruits and, and who they really targeted. Um, but the other guys are, are going to be sort of, you know, I don't want to say roster filler, but, but guys who are capable of playing at a certain level and maybe not capable of doing much more. Um, you know, I, I look at somebody like, you know, like Jimmy Nichols at Providence, you know, he's, he's a long guy, clearly can play, you know, a little small forward, a little power forward in the big East, but is he ever going to be an elite player in the big East? No, certainly not. And, and so when you put him out there against the power five, against someone who's a little bigger, a little more athletic, who is a more heralded recruit, it's a mismatch. Um, you know, and so I think the further you get into the season, the further you get into March, you know, those are some of the roadblocks that you run into, and, and it can get frustrating. I, I completely understand that if you're a fan. Well, I, I get it. Sometimes with a roster like Seton Hall and Providence, the whole needs to be better than the sum of the parts, and that, that kind of – you get a you know a generational team that just gets it, and you get a magical run. But I think the frustration kicks in is when you get that generational player, you know, a la a Miles Powell uh, or a David Duke, let's say, and, you, okay, we could put – our horses behind this guy and ride them to maybe levels that we didn't think we can get to. And I want to kind of pause for a moment and, and talk about David. He's having a phenomenal season. You're talking about NBA first round pick, but he should be at the top of the list 
for potentially Big East player of the year if Providence was having more team success. You know, 19 points a game, six rebounds, five assists. He's already got four games of 28 or more on the season. I mean, he really should be a player of the year candidate in the Big East, and he's really not right now. You know, is, is that fair to take the team success and apply that to his individual honors? Well, I think it matters, and I, I think that's certainly how the coaches vote. Um, you know, if you, you look at the end of the season, the, the Big East player of the year generally goes to a guy who's, who's on a winning team. You know, whether it's someone who is the top team or, you know, second team, third team, whatever. Um, you know, generally somebody who's at or near the top of the standings. Uh, you know, I, I would look at David and, and I would say he sort of hit a, a bit of a lull here in the midpoint of the season. Uh, he's struggling from the field a little bit. Uh, you know, he's, he's had, he had a stretch uh, before the Marquette game on Wednesday, which was an overtime win at home. Uh, his previous five games, he was 27 for 83 from the field. Uh, you know, opponents were really turning him into a volume scorer. And, and I think, you know, and I don't know, I, I would ask you guys this because you got to watch Miles Powell for four years. There does come a point when you're a great player where in order to continue to progress, you might need to take a half step back and trust your teammates a little more. Uh, you know, maybe let them do a little bit more um, in terms of shooting, in terms of trying to facilitate uh, against Marquette, he was better. He was 10 for 22 from the field, a, a little bit more efficient. Uh, his assist numbers are, are going up. His rebounding numbers are, are going up. So his all-court game has been a little better. Uh, I think he's just pressing a little bit on the scoring, and, and I think that's in response to the fact that his teammates aren't necessarily consistent doing it, and he feels a bit of pressure as the best player to produce. Um, and, and I wonder if you know, you guys or, or Seton Hall fans saw that at times during Miles Powell's career. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you start looking at Miles' final numbers his senior year, we feel like there was a fallout of the concussion as part of that getting back into the flow. But his numbers were in the, you know, low 20s in conference play from three-point range. And there's times where I think the team just gave Miles the green light to put up a shot, you know, at his prerogative. And there was a little lack of trust in some of the other guys on the roster. And there was always the debate of who was the, the Robin to Powell's Batman. But then there was also people that came on our show and said, hey, look, I can live with Miles Powell over, you know, taking a bad shot compared to some of the other guys on the roster. And it, it was an interesting debate, right? Because you talked about who was going to step up. If I had a clear two and three and Miles was not deferring, okay, but that wasn't necessarily the case last year. Yeah, it's it's a tough balance. And and I know if you're a head coach, that that's what you're looking to do. You you hope that, you know, at that point, Nate Watson could – to could take a little burden off, uh, you know, against Georgetown. He only had 12 points and five rebounds. Um, you know, Georgetown's big up front. Caduce Wahab is, is a big kid. Uh, Timothy Igoefe is, is a big kid. You're talking about two guys who are 6'11", 7 feet, um, you know, who are, are rare opponents who are going to be bigger than Nate Watson. Uh, you know, he runs into the same thing, um, you know, playing against Seton Hall when he has to go up against Ike Obiagu. Um, you know, the, the difference for Nate is generally he this year because of his commitment to his conditioning, he's been a little more nimble uh, than the bigger guys he's played against. Uh, against Wahab and, and Igo Fa, they're athletic. Uh, Wahab is long; he's quick on his feet. Um, you know, he he did a good job uh, against Watson, who ended up fouling out with three minutes and 18 seconds left. Um, you know, Providence just needs they just need a little more help. Uh, they were hoping, I'm sure, that a couple of these guys would be a little further along at this point. They're just not, and and you especially see that. Um, you know, with the inconsistency of Reeves, 
and then with the production that they get out of the four spot, whether it's from Jimmy Nichols, uh, from Greg Gant, from Noah Horkler, that's really the weak position on the floor for them out of the five. Well, let's stick with Nate for a second. So clearly he was picked as preseason second team all Big East, and he's been living up to that expectation. I think he's a candidate for most improved player in the Big East. I mean, even though when you're second team projected, it's hard, kind of hard to, you know, outlive those expectations as most improved, but it's clear that he's been a difference maker being that second option behind Duke. You mentioned a little bit of the weight loss. Tom wants to kind of blame the, or uh, attribute this success to being on the seven year Perry Ellis program. Um, <laughs> but he has taken a monumental jump. But what would you attribute his game to kind of elevating to the level it's at right now? Uh, physical health first. Um, you know, he came into last year with a knee injury. Uh, he was about 20 pounds over his playing weight and, and just couldn't lose it. Um, and, and you guys have seen him play, as, as, as Tom mentions, you know, the, the seven year plan. You, you've gotten enough of a look at him at this point. Um, even at 260 and at 610, he's a very athletic kid, very light on his feet, you know, can move around in the post, um, you know, and that makes him a tough cover at the offensive end. So, you know, you take some weight off, uh, you couple that with the fact that he's put in a lot of work on his, on his mid-range jumper. You know, he could step out to 12, 15 feet and maybe bring a seven-footer out into an area where he's not necessarily comfortable guarding. Um, you know, they, they're definitely, they've refined him in terms of post moves. He's got a little jump hook. Uh, you know, he's got a baseline jumper. Um, you know, those go down pretty regularly. Uh, he shoots over 61% from the field, so he's efficient. Um, you know, I think Providence has good enough guard play to find him in good positions. Uh, you know, they get him a catch, clean catch on the block, singled up. Um, you know, it, it's just they've, they've designed a lot more for him this year. They, they've realized that in order to be good, he was going to have to be a big part of this. And, and so I think you've sort of got a marriage of, of preparation and opportunity here. Uh, and you've seen him sort of break out. Uh, he's only had one game in single digits. He, he's been pretty consistent. Um, you know, but you're seeing opponents now making a little bit more of a concerted effort, whether it's playing a little more zone like Georgetown did, um, you know, or whether it's doubling him on the catch, uh, you know, maybe trying to rotate some fresh bodies off the bench. They know that he's someone that they're going to have to take away, and they know that he's one of the primary options. Let's shift focus a little bit. You know, you were talking about what would be that third option for this Providence team. But more recently, uh, a young man has stepped up. Alan Breed has started the last six games after Jared Bynum went down with an injury. And now after starting off a little slow over his last four games, he's averaged just over about 10 points a game with a high of 18 and is dishing out three assists per game. How important has his development been to this team? I, I shudder to think of where they'd be if, if he wasn't playing this well, um, you know, because they are really thin at guard. They've gotten virtually nothing from Bryson Goodine, Syracuse transfer. He's been in and out of the rotation. Um, you know, David Duke can't do it all. Uh, and Jared Bynum has been out for an extended period with a groin strain. Uh, it's been described as a four to six week injury. He, he's just getting into the early part of that timeline. Uh, so I'm not sure if, if you will see him here at the start of February. It might be closer to mid-February. Um, you know, and Alan Breed doing what he's done has, has been a godsend for this team. Um, you, know, you look at the two games he played at Creighton and at Villanova. Um, you know, Creighton had 15 points, six rebounds, three assists. Uh, at Villanova had a double-double, 18 points and 11 boards. Um, you know, really emerged. This is a guy who... 
you know, he's a little bit bigger than Jared Bynum. He's about 6'2 or 6'3, so it gives you a little bit more length. Uh, he played at, a, at an elite level uh, on a high school team in Georgia, a state championship team there, where he was the third or fourth option. Uh, you know, was playing with power five recruits, you know, heralded recruits. Um, you know, so someone who, who has that winning pedigree, um, you know, and someone who has gained in confidence the more minutes that they have given him. Uh, you know, he's evolved as, as somebody who would probably be the starter at the point going forward, uh, you know, and, and looks like the typical Ed Cooley, you know, sort of under the radar recruit. Uh, I think he inherited that from his mentor, Al Skinner, uh, somebody who could find a diamond in the rough uh, as well as anybody. Uh, you know, so I think you're, you're seeing Alan Breed emerge with a little more playing time. Um, you know, I, I know they want to get Jared Bynum back just to add to their depth, uh, but they might not have that luxury in the next few games. All right, Bill, let's talk about this uh, upcoming matchup a little more specifically. I like it when the Big East scheduling people get it right once in a while and you play a team early in the season and then you come back on the back half of the schedule for the rematch because typically you see growth and development uh, as those teams progress through the season and it's not always the same exact matchup you got, you know, two or three games down the road, which we've seen a lot this year with the pandemic rescheduling. Yeah. So obviously we just talked about Breed for Providence. You know, they didn't get a chance to see Bryce Aiken in the first matchup. So it is going to be a different look for both opponents, but give me the matchup that kind of, once again, jumps out for you that you think is going to kind of highlight the success for one team or the other. Yeah. Breed didn't even play in the first game. Uh, Jared Bynum had eight assists and, and two turnovers. He played 43 minutes. Um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, it's going to be up to David Duke to, to find himself. Uh, I, I, I think those are probably the, the bellwether guys. It's, it's AJ Reeves and Miles Kale are, are the two guys who are sort of the, the up and down guys for each team. Um, you know, I, I, I have to think that you're going to get your normal contributions from Duke, from Watson, from Mamu Kelashvili, uh, you know, maybe from Jared Roden, uh, who, who I thought would be a breakout player this season. And, and at times he's looked like it. He's been very good. Um, you know, I, I think when you get into games like this, generally the top four, top six players will cancel each other out because they're all really good. And, and so you're looking at, you know, that third or fourth guy from each team maybe to step forward. Uh, the difference in the first game, obviously, is A.J. Reeves pops up and makes a three-pointer in overtime and, and wins it. Um, you know, and he had had a tough shooting night before that. Uh, you know, so I, I have to think that you know, it will be someone like him or like Miles Kale uh, or maybe like Bryce Aiken or Alan Breed who can tip this, uh, you know, and I, I just, I wonder, you know, how much it, it's, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot mentally for both teams to recover coming off the weeks that they just did. Uh, you know, you're, you're really getting into pressure time now in terms of being at the back end of the NCAA field. Uh, Providence is probably on the outside looking in as we sit here on Sunday morning after that loss to Georgetown. Uh, Seton Hall is probably at the bottom of the 68. I, I think they should still expect to be in at this point, but it's really thin ice that they're standing on. Um, you know, so both teams will be desperate, uh, I think. And, and you would like to see, you know, maybe that third or fourth guy in your rotation step forward and help the Stars. All right. So outside of uh, emotion and motivational coaching to put one team in the wing column, give me a couple of strategic approaches that Cooley or Willard should Im uh, imply for their team to come out with a victory? Well, for me, when, when I try to match up with Mamu, uh, I like using multiple bodies against him. I, I like using different defenders against him. I, I want, you know, I want to see Providence use 
Jimmy Nichols, Greg Gant, Noah Horkler, maybe for 10 minutes at a time against him so that they're fresh because you know he's going to be out there for 35, 36, 37 minutes. I, I want to make it hard for him. Um, you know, even if he's scoring, even if he's facilitating, I want to try to make him a little tired, uh, you know, and so I want to use fresh bodies against Mamu. Uh, if I'm Seton Hall, you know, just try to contain David Duke off the dribble. Don't let him get anything easy, um, you know, because he's really struggled from two-point range. He, he's had a hard time getting to the rim. Um, you know, you want to continue that. You, you want to keep his confidence low. You know, keep him in the first half. Try to keep him down because he has been struggling from the field. Uh, you know he's going to be hurting coming off that missed free throw against Georgetown. So put some doubt in his mind maybe in the first 10 minutes of the game, um, you know, because he's the type of guy who can ignite them. You know, he could come out and score 30 points and get his teammates going with eight assists or something like that. And you're going to have a really hard time beating them. Um, you know, so I think you you need to focus on those two players. Those are your defensive game plans. Um, you know, I would almost rather let Nate Watson get off because he's going to be beating you with twos. David Duke can beat you with threes, and he can also beat you by setting up his teammates. And, and so I think I'd put a little more focus on him. Okay, Bill, we're going to put you on the spot. I didn't like what I heard from you when we talked about the URI game, but here we go again. Who wins this game, Providence or Seton Hall? I'm going to have to go with Seton Hall. I, I, think, I think the Pirates are in position where, yes, both teams are desperate, but I just think Seton Hall will have, will have an extra player this time in Bryce Aiken. I, I think he's the guy who, you know, I felt like if he'd played against Rhode Island earlier this year, I would have picked Seton Hall in that game. I, I told you guys as much. I, I think he's a difference maker for them. I think he's a guard off the bench that Providence doesn't necessarily have at this point. Um, you know, he's a little bit extra depth in the backcourt, which I think is really important in games like this. Um, I expect the superstars to, to sort of cancel each other out in this one. And I think Seton Hall will win, you know, some kind of grinding rock fight-ish game in the 60s where both teams are just playing really hard and really desperate to try and get back on an NCAA track. So I, I would take Seton Hall in this one. Uh, I think it's really important also for them to get a season split. Uh, I don't think you want to put it in front of the selection committee if you're two teams in the same group that one team swept the other. I, I think, you know, optically that that's really difficult to overcome, and I think Kevin Willard is going to be telling his guys that. So I feel like Seton Hall will come out, possibly be the more desperate team, possibly have one extra player who can make a difference in their rotation. When was the last time that Seton Hall Providence didn't play a rock fight? How about, how about that? Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, I'm seeing, seeing a lot of ugliness, a lot of angry coaches, uh, you know, a lot of angry message board posts, um, you know, and that's what part of makes it fun, right? Debatable, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Bill, we can't thank you enough for coming on this week again. We always enjoy your insight and make sure that snow doesn't cover you up too much there. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Bill Koch, everybody. Okay, Mike, Providence isn't the only game we've got this week. We're going to stay up in New England and we're going to take on the UConn Huskies, Mike. They're back in the Big East and we can hate that much easier. Is, is Connecticut really New England? I don't know. I'm not up on my geography. <laughs> Depends on the place in uh, Connecticut you're talking about. I, I just have a thing. The minute I cross into Massachusetts or anything in that area, the hate just goes up. The Red Sox, Boston Celtics, you know, anything in that, you know, you said upper quadrant of the geographical map, and I'm not a happy camper. So you're, you must be 
ecstatic that outside of professional sports, you can bring back some intense hate that is not out somewhere in the Midwest. Oh, I hate myself some Huskies. Maybe that's why I don't like Donnie Marshall that much, but let's talk about UConn. So they were picked fourth in the Big East preseason coaches poll, and currently they sit at fourth. They're eight and three, five and three in conference. Their best win so far? Well, we, we really haven't seen it yet, have we? They have a neutral site win against USC by three points. They've won at Marquette. And four of their wins are against Butler and DePaul. So, I mean, I'm not sure what we've got with them so far. The last time they played was on January 26th, a home game against Butler that they won 63-51. to Their best player, their all-everything guard, James Booknight, is out after elbow surgery and they've been three and two since that injury losing to both st john's and creighton in book nike's absence rj cole and, and tyrese martin have really stepped up having good numbers prior they have really upped their games cole has jumped from 9.7 points a game to 12.4 and martin has almost doubled his output from 8.2 to 15.6 per game to go along with 2.6 steals and 5.6 rebounds per game. Well, clearly it's about those guys stepping up and kind of filling in for Booknight, who is basically a lock to be first team all Big East if he were to have played the entire season at this point. And this might be the only season that we still get to see Booknight play in the Big East because he has that type of next level talent to be able to create his shot with athleticism. But to me, Tom, I think there's some other storylines in this game. We actually get our first look in a head-to-head -head matchup of Adama Sonogo versus the Pirates. You know, he, he was thought to be the prized recruit for their 2020 class before at the last minute committing to the Huskies. And, you know, he hasn't had a breakout freshman year, but over his last three games, he's averaging 11 points, five rebounds, starting to come into his own a little bit. They're, they're trusting him to get some more touches. And I think Seton Hall is going to start to get to see him uh, and what he can showcase. And, you know, just like any other big guy, he might be in the Big East now for two to three years as he continues to develop, even though Sonogo had NBA aspirations in his mind as well. But I know where you really want the storyline to go. You want it to be all about former SHU Pirate and current head coach for the Huskies, Danny Hurley, now in his third season at the helm, right? Cause he likes to make waves. He just likes to get in your face, whether it's on the sideline or whether it's in the media and he came out firing right from the get go. I, I just seen this clip like a thousand times already. He goes, you better get us now cause it's coming. I, like I don't see someone going, Oh man, I, I get into my skin, but I'm sitting there going, that's the man I want in my foxhole. Right. Mikey, that's the Jersey city in him. There's one thing you weren't going to get from the Hurleys. There weren't going to be wallflowers, not with their father being the legendary coach, Bob Hurley. It's not going to happen. You're a little too young to know this, Mike, because you weren't watching the pirates back then. Danny had a real love hate relationship uh, with the school. And I mean, maybe it was more that the fans had a love hate relationship with him. You know, I, I think a lot of it stemmed from him not being Bobby 2.0, which is what the fans really wanted. And if he came up short from that, they were going to give it to him. So, I mean, I can't see that Danny's not enjoying sticking it to that school a little bit. 
Well, forget about just Seton Hall. I think he's the perfect guy to play the villainous role of hated UConn. Because it's not just Seton Hall that doesn't like UConn in the Big East. I think there's a little animosity that, you know, at some point they didn't come along with the, uh, the transition of the Big East. They wanted to play football instead of focus on basketball. And now UConn comes kind of crawling back to the Big East. And all the UConn fans are like, you should be happy to have us back. You need us back. And we're like, eh. And I, I think Danny's going to embrace this villainous role. I think, I think it's just perfect for him. I'm sorry, Mike. I need a second. I got to stop laughing. You said UConn and football in the same sentence. That's hysterical. Tom, but Tom, slow, slow it down. Reeling they, it back. Oh, my goodness. I'm crying. I'm crying. Because, because I don't think it's going to take that long before they start to stick it to the Big East where their bread is buttered, which is basketball. Because... Well, Mike, you're going to say this, but, I mean, they've already started to stick it to us because Danny Hurley is convincing guys to go up to the cow's pasture up in stores and play for them. I mean, in the 2019 class, he brought in the aforementioned James Booknight and Okuka Cook into the fold this past year. Adama Sanogo and Andre Jackson both joined the team. And next year, it's just going to get worse. He, his class is ranked 8th nationally with Rashul Diggins, the number 46 guy coming in from Pennsylvania. Jordan Hawkins, 49 from Maryland. And Samson Johnson coming in from New Jersey of all places. We can't recruit New Jersey anymore, Mike. Well, how many times are we going to see the big guys from the local entities that we are desperate to add to this roster now go to a in-conference rival? It's To me, it's I expected him to recruit well. He's now going to be recruiting in our backyard, which is going to deplete some of those opportunities that we were hoping Kevin Willard was going to eventually get over the top on. So it, it's just going to be another thorn in your side because, oh, nobody wants to stay locally. So I get it when uh, Earl Timberlake wants to go to Miami because it's warm and sunny, but you're starting to see guys like his 2021 recruiting class be in the hotbed of Northeast basketball, and they're staying predominantly local. It's not like you go up to Connecticut and it's a bonanza of fun and activities. You're not like right outside of New York City when you're up in Connecticut. The sunshine is not raining down, you know, just south of the border in Canada there. I mean, the, the reality is, Tom, you're seeing a lot of other local guys starting to stay. For example, you got Villanova landing Trey Patterson this upcoming year. Yeah, it's just putting another, in my opinion, kind of wart against Seton Hall's recruiting that their elite competition in the Big East is making hay in this area, having success, and it's going to be beating you up on the court night in and night out, not just a guy going to Syracuse and then you don't play them ever. You're watching them on TV in the ACC. These are guys you're going to have to face twice a year, potentially for the next three to four seasons. And I hate to say, you know, it's, it's, it's a Posh Alexander example. Every time that we lose a recruiting war or we make a, a decision to go in a different direction and it doesn't work out in our favor, it's going to be egg on your face over and over again. And like I said, I think Danny's going to relish in it, man. All right, Mike. So we talked to Bill Koch about what was going to happen at Providence. We just rolled over UConn. What are your predictions, Mike? How do you see this week rolling out? I'd like to agree with Bill, but every time we've been agreeing with our on-air guests that they, when they pick Seton Hall, we lose. 
Uh, but Seton Hall needs this game against Providence. I agree. Both teams are going to be desperate. Uh, but just like Bill said, for the resume perspective and both teams potentially being on the fringe, I, I don't think you can have two losses to Providence and have a resume that stacks up against the best teams in the conference with no more key wins. So by getting the win at Providence, you kind of offset that unfortunate loss uh, back at the Rock, and you kind of get a quad one win on the road. So I, I, I don't know, but I know it's really important that Seton Hall gets back on the winning path, and it starts with Providence. And then when you go face the the first matchup against UConn, there's not enough there to really be able to analyze. It's not like UConn has a big depth of games that they played on their schedule. And as you pointed out, nothing against a high level of competition other than two competitive setbacks against Creighton. The reality is their best player is missing. If I told you our best guy was out, and I'm not saying Bryce Aiken, we're saying Sandro Mamukelishvili, but our best guy was out, and you have a team that wants to make the NCAA tournament come into your building, if you were one of their fans, would you not be upset if you didn't pull off the victory? Yeah, oh, absolutely, Mike. So you're going 2-0, Mike, is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing 2-0, Mike. I think they need it. I know a lot of people are like, split these two road games. I think they need to get the momentum pendulum swinging extremely back in the other direction, and a 2-0 week would just be a shot in the arm that this team needs. Okay, so I'm actually going to go with the popular sentiment right now, Mike. I believe this is going to be in one-on-one week, but probably not the way you see it. I think we end up losing to Providence. I think Ed Cooley's going to have that team mad. They're going to be home, and I know you don't think home court means anything, but you still got to travel up that direction to play the game nonetheless. And we haven't had a good game in Providence in almost three years. We just don't seem to play well up there. Moving on to UConn. I agree with what you said. James Booknight is out, and I think that team is primed for the picking there. You mentioned earlier that Adama Sano goes up to 11 points a game over the last three games. But I'm going to tell you, Mike, prior to that, he's about at half that output. And he's going to be going up against a big front line in, in Sandro Tyrese. I think it's not going to be as easy for him to score some buckets against our big guys as people think it's going to be. So I see us losing to Providence. I see us coming back, beating UConn, and making that thin ice that much thinner. I don't, I don't think either game is a game that they're going to run anybody out of the building. UConn loves to crash the offensive glass. You know, uh, Tyrese Martin you know, got a chance to play against us when he was uh, with Rhode Island previously. You know, he's a guy who is – you know, a, a more efficient offensive to call Molson is a good comparison potentially, right? So he really has stepped up his game in the absence of book night and Seton Hall has to kind of really neutralize him because after that, they don't really have a lot of other scoring options outside of RJ Cole, who is very streaky. My, my concern is psychology, Tom. If you lose the Providence game, as you're kind of mentioning here, that now puts that losing streak at, at what, four in a row now? Yep, it goes to four. That January swoon extends into February. So it's it's not a matter of are we then better than UConn or should we win the UConn game? Sometimes you worry that the spiral could get out of control, and, and it is a downward spiral really right now. So, yeah, you really need to kind of get this next one, in my opinion, to get the psyche back, to get the, the fan base, the reporters, everything pointing in that positive direction on being on the, the right side of the NCAA bubble. And right now it's not. So I think if they lose the Providence game, you could see some more negative carryover 
into a tough UConn matchup. Well, it all starts on Wednesday evening. For us, it's going to be an early day. We're going to have to stop work early, Mike. Tune in at 4 o'clock PST to watch the game. I'm going to be there on the couch ready for this, and I'm going to be screaming, Go Pirates! Go Big Blue! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle, at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. We'll be right back.